Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guest today is Dr. Albert Reyes. Dr. Reyes is the sixth president and CEO of Buckner International. Before coming to Buckner, Dr. Reyes served as president of Baptist University of the Americas in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Reyes has also served as the pastor of three churches and as a manager for Sprint's National Customer Service Call Center. Dr. Reyes, who holds both the Masters of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry from the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, also holds the PhD in Global Leadership from Andrews University. He is the author of two books, The Jesus Agenda and Hope Now, the latter volume of which will speak in this conversation together. Dr. Reyes also serves as a board member of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, is vice president of the Baptist World Alliance, and is a member of the Forbes Nonprofit Council. He also thankfully serves as a member of the Board of Advocates for Baylor Stewart Seminary. Dr. Reyes and his wife, Belinda, have three adult children and are members of the Park Cities Baptist Church in Dallas. Dr. Reyes, Albert, it's a joy to have you on Todd Talks today. Thank you for taking the time to join us. You bet, Dr. Still. It's great, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me as your guest. Well, Albert, uh, we are going to cover uh, a, a broad range of issues, the waterfront, in uh, just a, a few minutes' time. It'll pass very quickly, but I wanted to see if we could start. For those who don't know much about Buckner, and there are many who have joined us that will, but there may be some who don't know much about Buckner. So, could we begin with you sharing a bit of the history of Buckner, how it came to be, and what are the ministries of Buckner? What causes Buckner to tick? Uh, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Still. Uh, you know, Buckner is a fascinating ministry that uh, began actually way, way back uh, when Texas was a new uh, republic. Uh, in 1859, the founder, Robert Cook Buckner, migrated from uh, actually uh, from uh, Kentucky, uh, Albany, Kentucky, to East Texas, to uh, Paris. And when he crossed the Red River into uh, the great uh, Republic of Texas, uh, there was a man running for governor that year, a, na a man whose name you'll recognize, General Sam Houston. Sir. So General Houston uh, and, and R.C. Buckner were contemporaries. So R.C. Buckner came uh, and with his wife, Vienna, who was from Albany, Kentucky. R.C. Buckner originally from uh, Madisonville, Tennessee, where he began pastoring Dr. Still at the age of 18. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, but I was nowhere near ready to be a pastor somewhere. But he started pastoring at the age of 18, went on to Albany, and then migrated to uh, Paris, Texas, to become pastor of the First Baptist Church there in Paris. And so from 1859 all the way through the Civil War and, uh, and then on beyond that post-Civil War uh, was his era of ministry uh, as, uh, as he began. So R.C. Buckner was part of uh, Texas, which was part of the Confederacy fighting for the uh, slavery to keep it as an institution. And, uh, and so lots of dads went off to fight in the Civil War, and many of them did not return, lost their lives. So lots of moms became uh, uh, widows, and, uh, and then those, uh, many of the widows didn't survive. And so the children that were left behind ended up as true orphans. We call them double orphans, where both mother and father have deceased, passed away. 
And so R.C. Buckner was pastoring during this time. He saw the ravages of the Civil War and what took place and many, many children uh, becoming uh, uh, orphans you know, without parents. And so at the same time, he was a bit of an entrepreneur. He had a printing press called the Religious Messenger, which is the forerunner of the Baptist Standard. Uh, in downtown Dallas. So he had a printing press. He sold it in 1879 for $18,000. So for those of our listeners that are mathematicians that can do the, the present value of, of money, can figure out how much today $18,000 would be if it was valued in 1879 to 2022. It's a lot of money. And so he would print the religious messenger. He did it for a profit and he sold uh, the newspaper across Texas. And in every issue of the paper, he wrote a column on the plight of the orphan. And he was tracking what was happening. In his last issue, uh, one of the last issues before he sold the printing press, he said, uh, I've been writing to you now about the orphan and you know we need to do something about it. It's enough, there's enough writing and talk about it. Let's do something. So meet me at my former church, First Baptist Church of Paris, and we're going to meet there a certain day. Deacons from across the state of Texas came. About 200 people showed up. Uh, so he, uh, before he went into the church to, uh, to do the meeting, call it a deacons meeting, deacons convention, and preach, he gathered a few of the men outside under the oak tree, which is still there at First Baptist Church of Paris, and said, to get this thing started, I'm going to put the first green back, the first dollar into the hat, the person who put the second dollar into the uh, hat was B.H. Carroll, the founder of Southwestern Seminary. So they went around the, the circle there, collected $27, and then walked into the church, had the service, uh, the conference. He preached the sermon, and his really his question was, what if it was you that was dead and your children left behind? What would you want the church to have done? And with that rallying cry, uh, he raised $200. And so the deacon board said, when, when you get to 2000, you can start your orphan's home. And so that was 1877. By 1879, he had gathered $1,200. And, uh, and I think reading between the lines, he might have been frustrated, Todd, that he hadn't met his goal. So he put $800 of his own savings into the pot and started uh, $2,000. And they said, okay, you can start the children's home. So he started the Buckner Orphans Home in 1879. So we're 143 years old. And uh, from the beginning, uh, when he purchased the campus that we still uh, uh, have, uh, the historic campus in 1880, so from 1880 to 2022, we still have the same campus. But on that campus, he put a row of houses for widows uh, who had lost their husbands. And then, of course, he had buildings for the orphans, and he had the widows become matrons to take care of the kids. So his theme verse was, um, uh, you know, pure religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless, right, is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself undefiled from the world. And so there from the beginning, the objects of our mission were right there in that verse. It's both children and families as well as uh, widows. And so we have children and families division that serves children, vulnerable children through foster care, adoption, single family support, uh, and what we call family pathways to help those families reconstruct their family and get on a solid economic sustainable future through education, through an associate of arts degree, a job, an apartment, uh, you know, accounts for their checking and savings, and then they're stable. They don't need help anymore after that. 
And then there's another program we have called Family Hope Centers. I'm speaking to you now from the offices of one of our Family Hope Centers at Bachman Lake, just north of Love Field. When you fly in, you probably fly over this Family Hope Center. And uh, the idea there is to work with families through family coaching before they fall apart, before they disintegrate, and to reach out to them before they reach out to us. And so it's a preventive model to help families stay together and to keep the children in the family where God put them and, and prevent uh, the need for foster care adoption and other programs. And so it's on the prevention side of things. And then on the senior living side, we have six senior living communities in Texas where we serve a continuum of care that starts with independent living, assisted living, skill nursing, and memory care all in one location. We do that in six communities across Texas, West Texas, East Texas, and South Texas. And then not only are we in 12 cities in Texas, but we also are in six countries outside the U.S., primarily in Latin America, also in Kenya. And in those countries, we might be in three or four cities in those countries as well. So it, it has grown from uh, this to, to take care of the needs of children and families as well as seniors from birth, uh, beginning of life, all the way to the ending of life, everything in between. And so uh, it is driven by the philanthropic support of people who, who want to support and, and help uh, orphans, vulnerable children, families, and seniors. Uh, the senior side is really fee for service, so there's not much contribution there, although we're beginning to explore that. But the children and family services is fully subsidized by the contributions uh, of, uh, of donors, as well as our Baptist General Convention of Texas also supplies us with uh, a gift each year to do the work that we do. So it's a great history, lots more to tell, but I'll, I'll stop there and see where we are. Wow, so uh, Albert, out of something horrible came something hopeful and driven by James 127. Uh, what a remarkable ministry and it's fast too. How many employees in the various locations, Albert? Sure, just to give you an idea of the metrics of uh, size and scope, we have a $160 million budget approximately right under 1,400 uh, staff uh, uh, that are uh, employed here in Texas, another 800 to 1,000 or so in the six uh, NGOs uh, outside of the U.S. Uh, and so um, we, we, we have a lot to pray over, a lot to keep track of. So it, it is a rather large operation, uh, two different industry types, if you will, children and families and senior living across seven corporations. And so... Um, a lot to keep track of and a joy to serve. Wow, uh, it's a big job. So Albert, how, uh, how did you become president and CEO uh, of Buckner? Uh, and how long have you served in the role? And then uh, kind of uh, as a follow-up to the same, what are some of the more significant changes that you've seen uh, as you've led uh, the remarkable ministry that is Buckner International? Well, you know, uh, from the very beginning, I answered a call to vocational ministry when I was 15 years old. So I've been preaching now 40, 46, some 46 years, 40 some odd years, all these, all this time. And really my vocational calling in the beginning was as a, as a, as a young boy, uh, 15 years old, I had come to know the Lord, was baptized and discipled, attending church. And it was through the revival of a missionary from Spain at the First Mexican Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Rudy Sanchez was my pastor. 
uh, Dr. Tony Anaya was the uh, Spain missionary, and he was preaching that week. It was the Thursday of that that I just told my dad, you know, I, I think I need to do more than just go to church and, and serve the way I'm serving. I, I think there's more that God's calling me. And I don't know what it is. I sure hope it's not standing in front of people every seven days to do a sermon. I was kind of bashful and didn't really want to be in the public eye, you know, so be careful what you don't want to do. But um, I went forward and I said, I don't know what this means, but I'm, I'm answering a call to ministry and whatever that means, I'm ready to do whatever. So Dr. Sanchez put me to work and uh, over time. And so I, I began preaching as a 16 year old for the first time. And as I said earlier, and then uh, went through college and seminary and then began pastoring, did that for 14 years and then uh, went on to Hispanic uh, seminary and served there for seven years uh, to try to uh, lead the institution to become accredited, certified to grant degrees, which we now do. And I was sort of minding my own business one uh, Wednesday uh, there at the office when I received a call from an executive uh, search firm and they're looking for a president for Buckner. I knew Ken Hall, my predecessor. And so I thought, well, I know Dr. Hall's there. Why, why does he need another president? You know, and so they, they said, you need to talk to Dr. Hall about that. So uh, I saw him at a meeting. We had been serving at that time, oddly enough, as officers of the BGCT. He was president. I was first vice president. So I, I knew Dr. Hall. And so saw him in a meeting that we would customarily attend and said, Dr. Hall, what, why, why are you looking for a president? I understand you're looking for one. And so what's, what's up? So he said, well, we're actually, we're in a succession plan for this role. And I said, okay, wait a minute, wait, I'll stop the presses. Do you mean for you, for, for your role? He says, yes. I said, well, that's something I'm got to really think about that. That's a, that's a big, tall order. Wow. You know, so you know, we talked about it some and I agreed to enter the process and not really having any expectation. And one day, Dr. Hall came to my office in San Antonio. And if you know Dr. Hall, he's a, he, he's got a he's a leader. He got plans. He's got things to say, places to be, people to contact. So I said, Dr. Hall, before you say anything, let me just tell you that I've really been thinking about this and praying about it. And I have come to a place of peace in my heart that uh, if I'm not the candidate, it's okay. I'm at peace, you know? And, and in fact, I wish you would just tell me I'm not the candidate because I got to get back to work. I've got, you know, friends, funds, freshmen, faculty, I've got to focus on. It's hard to be in two worlds. And so, uh, so I stopped talking. He starts laughing. And I, so I was like, what are you laughing at? He says, I came today to tell you, you're the one. I'm, I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah, you're it. I said, oh, Dr. Hall, there's a lot of people that are more qualified that have experience and so on. And he says, I know I've met them all and I've interviewed them and I've concluded you're the most qualified person. And I said, I don't know what to say. He says, you can say yes. I said, wait, wait, I need to pray about this. And this is a serious, serious conversation. So uh, he says, you have a week. So I took that week to talk to my wife and ask, you know, is the Lord done with us here? Or, or, or is this a distraction? Or, you know, we began to really pray hard and talk hard about it and, and uh, came to the end of the week saying, you know, I think maybe, you know, I'm not the master, I'm the servant. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to other influential people in my life and, 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 and counsel and, and, you know, uh, mentors and such, and everyone agreed, this is an excellent opportunity, probably the next step for you. And I said, I, I think the only person that's holding back is me. <laughs> so so I, I guess if the master is saying, stop doing this and start doing that, I'm good. So I, I answered yes. And so have been here now, started in 2007 
as president of the Children and Families Division. Then in 2010, president over uh, all of Buckner except for the foundation. And then 2012, Dr. Hall retired and I became president and CEO. So I've been at it now for 10 years and uh, just, uh, just a joy to, um, uh, to, to, to be serving in this role. Mm. But taking together 15 years at Buckner then. Um, right. In, right. in your various roles. Well, Albert, one of the ways that you have extended the ministry of Buckner is through your own uh, speaking and teaching and writing. And uh, following up uh, your earlier volume, uh, The Jesus Agenda, you have recently written Hope Now. It's published in 2019, but then COVID came. And so it still feels as if though yeah. this, is a, yeah. this is a book that's brand new out. Um, Albert, for those uh, who, unlike myself, have yet to read it, um, give us kind of an overview of, of Hope Now and uh, what, what is a summary of its contents uh, so that uh, those who listen can go and take up and, and read. Right, right. Uh, Hope Now uh, actually came out of um, uh, a real interesting conversation with my mentor that uh, a consultant, let's call him a writing consultant. I had gone on a, on a, uh, a sabbatical that the trustees uh, graciously offered to me and uh, uh, I wanted to figure out what to do at that time. I'd never been on a sabbatical because I always left at year seven. <laughs> no one told me you had to go to 10 until finally I stayed till 10. And they said, hey, you can go sabbatical now. I was like, oh, boy, I've been missing out all this time. You know, so I called my um, my uh, faculty advisor at Southwestern, Dr. Daniel Sanchez. And I said, I know you've been on sabbatical. So what is a sabbatical? What do you do? And he says, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, I want to write a book. He's oh, no, no, don't write the book. He says, you need to research the book. You, that's that's precious time. You can always write. I said, oh, that's that's a good point. So he connected me with Dr. Edward David Cook of the Oxford Center of Mission Studies. And so I began conversation with Dr. Cook and uh, he's an ethicist and the founder of the Oxford Center for Biomedical Research and so on. And so I talked to Dr. Cook and he says, well, what did you have in mind? So I listed like seven topics, you know, he says, oh no, that, you're way too broad. You need to narrow it down. So he says, try back in two weeks. Let's see if you can come up with uh, something more narrow. So I called back two weeks later and I got it down to three topics. He goes, oh, no, you're way too broad. Says, you, you, that's not specific enough. You need to try it again. So two weeks passed by. I called back a third time. And before he, I could tell him my answer, uh, he said he interrupted my answer and said, uh, the problem with you Americans <laughs> is the way he started the sentence. The problem with you Americans uh, is that uh, you, 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 you take, uh, you take, uh, 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 you know, um, a problem uh, and uh, you, need, well, you take something that's good, you try to make it better, but that's not the Oxford way. At Oxford, we take a problem and we solve it. Uh, we take a negative and turn it into a positive. So he said, what's your problem? Mm. And I said, in fact, I have a problem. Uh, my problem is that the whole time I've been walking with the Lord and through churches and Sunday school and theological training, I've always noticed that there seems to be two teams. There's a team that focuses on the spiritual aspects of the kingdom and, you know, salvation, evangelism and discipleship, which is important. But then there seems to be another team that focuses on the physical needs of people like, you know, having something to drink and wear and place to live and just like for right now. And I, I look at Jesus and I don't see two teams. I see 
two sides of the same coin. And he says, okay, that's a good problem. I'll see you at Oxford. So, so with, with that marching orders, I did some research, wrote the intro, went there. And so I, so you'll, you'll appreciate this, Todd. I thought, okay, I'm from the spiritual team, right? I'm from the uh, missions, evangelism, church planting. I grew up in that. That's my, my DMN studies was in missiology. So I need to find a, a, a commissioning passage or a, a scripture that, that is really about mission but if I could find one that has embedded in the commissioning or the words, the need to see to physical needs, then I could convince my own tribe that there's, that there's two sides of the same coin, not two teams. And so I found it in Luke chapter 10, one through nine, where Jesus sends out the 72, two by two, 36 teams. And he, he, he commissions them to go out and give the word of peace, knock on the door and, and offer a word of peace. And so the gospel is there. And uh, but then verse eight, Todd, is where that part in the movie where you 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 there's a twist in the plot that you could not have foreseen. And he says, when you get to a city and they welcome you and give you something to eat, he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. I said, that's it. That's it. So it's both. Right. And yeah. so the word for healing is uh, therapeuo. So it, it contrasts with all the instantaneous physical healings that Jesus did with more of a protracted healing, more of a process healing, more of a, you know, go and come back two steps forward, three steps backward. Therapeutic is where you get the word therapy from. You've given a therapy before, you know, it's not a one-time shop. It's, it, stop, it's a number of sessions before you're healed. You know, I've been through therapy as well. So I know you have to go back 36 times and so on. And so that's really more what Buckner does. We, 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 we engage people as messengers with the message. We step into the mess and we begin to try to walk with that person until they're made whole, right? And so, so, so it's peace, it's healing. And then I added injustice when the kingdom comes near. And so here's where I made a discovery. I, I know you're a Bible scholar, a theologian, Todd, and I know that you get shocked and surprised in the depths of study when you see something you hadn't seen before, right? That's, that happened to me. I looked up uh, Matthew 6.33 about pursuing the kingdom, and I saw that in the, the Latin Vulgate that it went from Greek to Latin as uh, justice rather than righteousness. And so as I transliterated the, 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 the interpretation, I, I said it could really mean seek first the kingdom of God and the justice of God, and all these things would be added to you. For me, that was a light that I hadn't seen before. And I thought, you know, I've never really been that concerned about the justice of God. I've, I saw it as righteousness as part of his character. And I guess it's a cousin to justice, but I just hadn't focused on that. So, so I wrote the subtitle, Peace, Healing, and Justice When the Kingdom Comes Near. So I start talking about what does it mean for the kingdom to come near? And should we be pursuing the kingdom full on, you know, with everything we have, or should we be doing other things? I think Jesus said the only thing you need to run after is the kingdom, the here and the now, as well as the yet to be. So that's what that book is about. And then I used uh, Buckner stories uh, as exhibit A of what, what I found in the script. So you can overlook that, you know, and, uh, and, and, and cover a multitude of sins there. But hope now, I think, is actually a little bit better and more focused. So.
Well, Albert, um, I read the book, have appreciated the book, uh, have blurred the book, and I hope others will uh, also read it. Uh, I benefited greatly from it. Um, as we approach uh, the bottom of the hour, uh, Albert, I want to uh, see if I can ask you just one more question, and, and sure. it's this. Um, for those uh, who would like to get more involved in the ministry of Buckner, we've already heard one way. Uh, they can uh, contribute uh, financially uh, to, to Buckner uh, and can give to uh, orphan care, to, to family development, to uh, senior uh, living. Um, are there other ways, are there other places at Buckner that folks might be able to get involved uh, for those who, who see the importance of this ministry? Right, that's a great question, uh, Todd. And I, I think that um, it's, um, we, we try to make the, the on-ramp to Buckner as easy as possible. And so everybody in this listening audience can afford to go to Payless Shoes or Walmart or wherever and purchase a $25 pair of brand new tennis shoes. And so what we've seen is uh, individuals, sometimes church, uh, children for their birthday parties, they'll say, don't bring me a gift, bring a brand new pair of shoes. And we're going to have a, a shoes for orphan souls aspect to my birthday party. And we're going to give those shoes, you know, to Buckner. Sometimes churches will have a, a shoe drive and encourage all the members to bring shoes and have a shoeless Sunday where, you know, we come barefoot and we bring uh, uh, shoes probably in the summer, not in the winter, but, but, um, uh, or, or even uh, rotary clubs and other groups. I've seen student groups, uh, different, you know, Campbellsville University and other universities have done a campus-wide shoe drive. Even college students can afford a $25 pair of, uh, of shoes if they'll just skip five trips to the local coffee company, right? So we won't, we won't name uh, the, the, the company to keep them guilty and keep them where they are. So, so, uh, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, anyone can afford a pair of tennis shoes. And so a group can do a shoe drive. Then another thing they can do is come to our uh, humanitarian aid warehouse, the Center for Humanitarian Aid. Ship now 4 million pairs of shoes to over 85 countries around the world, including our own locations. Even right now, Todd, for Ukraine, we have uh, made 500 pairs of winter shoes available for a church in Waco to take over to, uh, to uh, Poland to give to children and to Ukraine. So there's different ways uh, that, that even a pair of shoes for a child, brand new pair of shoes uh, is, is a significant impact to them. You know, children all over the world need shoes for education. You can't go to school without shoes. Sometimes health issues, uh, children get cut their feet, can have infections and it turns into worse uh, health conditions. So, you know, a shoes is just a, a great way to start. Of course, your time, right? Um, even tutoring, mentoring a child uh, in a city close to uh, where you live. If we have Butner has service there, it's, it's meeting with that child who doesn't have a dad or a parent or someone to help with their homework. There are all kinds of opportunities for volunteer work as well. So there's lots of ways to plug in and support um, uh, and to do what Jesus did, right? To let the children come so we can bless them. Uh, and uh, right now, I understand half the children in Ukraine have been displaced. And many of them have lost their parents. I heard of an a Orthodox Christian businessman who had a hotel built. Uh, it was empty. 
It's now full of 250 new orphans, meaning their parents have been have lost their lives in the war right now. So there's lots of needs right here in Texas in the lower Rio Grande Valley, uh, even beyond our borders, Latin America and Kenya. There's lots of places for students and others to plug in and, and uh, make a difference. Well, Albert, um, I want to, on behalf of so many, say thank you to you for your leadership. I also am grateful for your friendship. Thank you for the ministry of Buckner International. And thank you for your time today. You've helped us see afresh that which James says to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Uh, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our Lord to minister to orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And we're grateful for a ministry like Buckner that lifts up the least uh, so that we might become more like Jesus who says uh, the last shall be first. So uh, we're grateful for you, for all you're doing, and we're grateful for your friendship and partnership in the gospel. Keep up the good work, my brother. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. I'm proud of Baylor Truett Seminary for your leadership and the students that you're preparing for the future of Texas. It, it is bright because Truett's in the mix. So the Lord, Lord be with you. Thank you. See you soon. Thanks for okay. your time. Bye -bye. Thanks for joining us today, friends. See you next time on Todd Talks.